hear the word of the Lord. God spoke clearly to me. And if you go back and listen to every message that's ever been recorded to me, you won't find 50 times in 40 years that that's come out of my mouth. Some guys got a jump drive, and they get up every morning and plug it in Jesus, and he downloads, and he just tells them all kind of stuff. And I'm over here praying. My knees is aching. I'm praying. I can't hear nothing. So I just read the Bible, and there it is. But the Lord dealt with me. And this is what I feel. God does not want to change our mindset. He wants to shatter it and rebuild it. In other words, he wants fundamental foundational change that in our thinking that will empower him to use us by blessing us to become a blessing. It's nothing but a repeat of Abraham. I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. That's exactly what God wants to do here. And God wants to take us from this mindset of journeying through the wilderness and surviving it to a mindset of thriving in the midst of the mess because we're part of the promised people. You ever heard of a place called Goshen? What goes on around you does not necessarily have to go on in you. You don't want to preach with me. What's going on in your economy, what's going on in your world, What's going on in your city does not have one cotton-picking thing to do with what's going on in God's church. God wants to move. I'm talking to you about what God dealt with me about early this morning. God must move us from a plotting mindset to a quantum leap mindset if we are ever having a hope of accomplishing the assigned task you got that and the word of the Lord came unto him saying I'm talking about Elijah arise get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there behold I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain the underlying widow woman if you write in your Bible it's kind of funny that every time God starts teaching them about money there's always a widow woman involved it's never a rich businessman it's always a widow woman the kingdom of God's never been built and based on wealthy people it's always been faithful loving, sacrificial apostolics who've got a burden for the mission and put him first and then God prospers them. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. I'm trying to teach this, but I feel like preaching my socks down around my ankles. So the Lord commanded Elijah to go down there and he commanded him to ask a widow woman And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. 
And he called her and said, Husbands, do not employ this at your house. Fetch me, I pray thee, walk. Get you on. Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Oh yeah, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. Now watch this. She's fixing to confess and set the setting for her world. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I don't have a cake. All I've got is a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm going together. Watch this. Two sticks. If all the food you got you cook with two sticks, you are going to die. And she said, I'm gathering two sticks. Why? That I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's pretty rough economic conditions. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. That's easy for you to say. You're a fat apostolic preacher. Don't be afraid. Go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. I imagine in her mind she probably thought, not only is he a fat apostolic preacher, he's hard of hearing. He must have missed that part about I've only got enough for us to eat one bite and die. But he was speaking to her at the behest of God. When a man talks, it's a man talking. But when God commands a man to say something, it becomes the voice of God. You, you didn't get that. When a man comes and says, I think, I feel, I believe, that's one thing. But when the Holy Ghost commands him. Don't be afraid. Do like you said you don't do. But make me a little cake First, now we start to jump off the faith cliff and bring it to me. And after, make for thee and thy son. For thou shalt, thus saith, I can't read with my new lips. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail. Until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Verse 15 is quite possibly the most faith-filled verse in the entire Bible. A woman facing certain death with her child. And she went and did. Everybody say she did something. Until she did something, the meal and the oil did not fill the barrel and the cruise. God, I feel like preaching. I'm trying. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Not God. Notice that. She didn't hear from God. She heard from a man. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. This is so powerful. Notice the next few words and she 
and he, her boy, but it don't stop there. When she got outside of herself, that's what sacrifice is all about. It's about taking what you think you need and investing it outside of yourself. And when you do, it never stops with just your house. And she and he and her house. That's the same Hebrew root word for the house of Saul and the house of Jesse and the house of David. It meant everybody connected. Your stepping out in faith tonight will not just impact your house. It will impact everybody that you are connected to. Let me say it this way before I get started. There is a missing component in the apostolic mental bank. We believe in prayer. I told you they didn't preach my sermon. We pray ourselves silly. We fast and ask God for stuff. Well, well, that's what the Bible said. Yes, if you fast without praying, you're limited. I'm sorry, if you pray without fasting, you're limited. If you fast without praying, you're just dumb. Because you're just hungry at that point. But if you fast and pray, there's not a thing out there you can't get. But we've got fasting and prayer down. But then we step back and wait on God. Watch me. To do. God said, that's not how this works. Real apostolic revival comes when we fast, when we pray, and when we do. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. If the Lord will help me, and i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. This sermon was only 11 pages, and the Holy Ghost got to talking to me this morning, and I've got 32 pages of notes. We're not going to preach them all, because the gaslight came on about three minutes ago. (laughs) Amen. Look at your neighbor. Tell them that's the best-looking old bald-headed man I've ever seen. You can be seated. And that wasn't near as funny as y'all acting like it was. I want to talk to you from this subject tonight for a little while. Everybody look at me. Focus on me. I know it's difficult. You can do it. I'm going to preach to you unlocking the supernatural. The Bible teaches us clearly how to unlock supernatural things. And we're going to learn it. Everybody said amen. Amen. There are some things in life that you can put off until later. Everybody say term paper. There's always that one person that gets the syllabus and starts writing the term paper. Be nice to them. They're going to be your boss. But there are some things that we can put off. I am a professional procrastinator with house chores. Something happens to my hearing when I hear things that involve the word trash and carry out. Huh? Come again? But we cannot put off winning the lost 
And we cannot put off moving the kingdom forward at all. If ever you're going to be attentive to one thing, it has to be kingdom business. I am passionate about this. And I don't mean to be mean or offensive or rude. I I really don't. But we don't have time to take baby steps any longer to make sure that we don't scare the saints. We don't have long to get this done and you don't have to be an eschatology or prophecy professor to get that. You just need to get your newspaper out and read it. This world cannot continue on the way that it has been going. It will not survive another 10, 15 years at the pace we're headed to hell in a handbasket. It's not going to last. And that puts pressure on the church. We don't have time to take 20 years to do what it takes at a bank. We've got to be three buildings down the road in 20 years. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God is coming back. And whatever you're going to do for Jesus has got to be done and thought of in the immediate. My father was a missionary. He started three Bible colleges, multiple churches, and evangelized a large swath of the Philippines. And he would often say this, if your passion and your vision doesn't terrify you when you try to figure out how to accomplish it, you don't have the right one. It's going to be a long night. Your vision has to be bigger than your ability to figure out how to do it. Let me say it another way. You are not capable of doing what God called you to do. Oh, come on. If you were capable of doing it, who would get the credit? But when you're incapable of doing it, but you just step out there anyway. And it begins to work out. uh, Then all of a sudden, everybody knows uh, that was a God thing. Uh, That was a God thing. (laughs) Faith is the substance. So look at me. Faith is not wishing. Uh, Boy, we got work to do. Faith is not wishing. Faith is not hoping. Faith is not begging. Faith is a real substantive thing. Faith is the substance. It's what makes hopes real. Well, we're going to have to go on dig into it, I guess. Faith is the substance. Now, that's a compound word. Sub, below, I'm brilliant like that. Stance that will support weight. Therein 
is the righteousness of God revealed to you. In other words, you would not know the security and the certainty of God by living in what you can afford. To have God's measure of certainty revealed, you got to walk up to your limitations. And then when you take the next step, it's into faith. But faith is that thing below you, substance that you can step out on. And you're not going to sink. Anybody remember a guy named Peter? Oh, if I give in this offering, I don't know. Yes, you do. God cannot fail. God cannot fail. He don't even know how to fail. Can I tell you, without you getting upset with me, I'm really a nice fella. My wife told me I was. We have to adopt a God mindset. And God said, if necessary, I'll robe myself in flesh. And I'll make myself the sacrifice. And I'll die so that they have what they need. So what should my mindset be when I approach the kingdom of God? Whatever the kingdom needs from me and my family to pick up the pace of evangelism in our city and in our world, I'll make it happen. I'll robe myself as the sacrifice. I'll make my life focused on him I'll do whatever it takes because I am the recipient of the greatest thing in the world we don't have time to wait until we get it all together before we do something for God we are rapidly approaching 8 billion souls in the world today. Now stop for a minute. Out of eight billion people, he chose you. And sometimes if I get a little out of kilter, I get to feeling like I deserve some things. I deserve to die. We preach the cross and we've romanticized it. And we've sanitized it to the point that it's just a cute little story that we preach every now and then that makes us feel good about the love of God. But the Bible said they beat that man until his visage was marred. In other words, they couldn't recognize him. One scholar I read after said the cat of nine tails often would rip the body cavity open to where you can see the lungs and the spleen. That's what I deserve, but that's not what I got. 
what I got was in that while I was still sinning with no hope of me ever taking advantage of that sacrifice Christ died for me We don't have time for excuses and we don't have time for tidy preparations. What you're going to do for Christ, you got to do it right now. Because souls depend on me changing my mindset to embrace the whatever it takes to move the kingdom forward rapidly. That's what God needs from me now listen to me I'm going to be transparent with you I've asked God to let me make a contribution to the kingdom I'm 58 years old the 11th of next month and I've got probably 12 to 15 good years left when you get my age you start thinking about things like that I don't know if Bishop does he seems younger than his years but I sometimes sit and think, you're only middle-aged if you live to be 116. <laughs> and then reality says, my God, you got carried away from church two weeks ago in an ambulance. And you're 57. You're probably not going to make it. i got 12 good years. I've asked God to link me up with men. Come here, Brother St. Clair. I've asked God to link me up with men who have a vision and youth. He's got something I don't have. He's got more time than I've got. He's got something I don't have. He's got the vision for this church. And I've asked God to give me the energy for the next 12 years to raise $50 million for men like this that they can fulfill what the kingdom needs. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not enough for me to pray it. You got to do it. Fear. Can I be honest with you? I love you. I just met you. And I'm already in love with this church. There is a like precious spirit here. I walked in here and I felt like I was among my people. But I also see and feel the result of trauma. And there is a caution. And I'm not saying we're supposed to live our lives recklessly. The Bible says be good stewards. But I'm telling you that stewardship cannot take on the smell of fear. And this morning the Holy Ghost woke me up. I didn't want to get up. I was sleeping like a yard dog. But I woke up and I kept hearing fear, anxiety, timidity, trepidation, reticence. And I'm thinking, my God, I can't even spell them words. And they kept going in my mind, fear, anxiety, 
timidity, trepidation, reticence. I rolled back over and said, you're losing your noodle. Fear, anxiety, timidity, trepidation, reticence. And then God set boat right up in that bed with me and I said, all of it's brought on by past culture shock of defeat. And it must be put in its proper context. I've never preached this in one of these before, but the Holy Ghost screamed at me, remind my people that while the world was falling apart around them, I had light in Goshen. There was light in Goshen because what goes on around you does not have to go on in your house. God can bless you when all of Anderson is falling apart. God's intent toward his people is that his church is not subject to nor lives by external forces that he uses to discipline a stiff-necked world. In fact, God wants to do the opposite. He wants to elevate us to be a bright and shining light in a world of depression, darkness, and want. What you're saying is this. God wants to use Anderson First Pentecostal Church. God, hear me if you don't hear nothing else, as a light. And the darker and the more economically depressed that it gets out there, he's going to use what you've been afraid of as your as your witness to a community. And when people that would not listen to your witness see God's blessing in your life, they're going to all of a sudden say, how did that take place? And you'll say, we just gave everything that we had. We committed it to God. And God began to do what God does. He did God things with our church. He did God stuff with our With our finances, I'm preaching to somebody. I come to kill a giant tonight. There is a spirit of fear here, and I take dominion over it in the name of Jesus Christ. I curse it to its roots. past I like this one better it's louder <laughs> smells better too like preaching with six weeks old chicken leg 
Where was I? Y'all get back in the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. The Holy Ghost brought me here with a word. The trauma of past financial collapse is not supposed to factor in to your thinking as apostolic children of God. And all of this that you've had go on around you must be viewed in a kingdom context. I, I'm telling you, none of this, I, I don't preach none of this. It's all new stuff. It's fresh bread. I love bread. I can't ever have none. My wife's mean. But I want you to hear me tonight. I'm serious as a heart attack. I come to kill this thing in your minds. And I'm not going to stop till it dies. Because I'm sick of watching churches like this one that has everything in place. But they've got that one thing. That's got its clutches on their throat. And every time they go to exercise dominion, and every time they go to do, they just hear the whisper, well, remember back when? I'd like to take you a little further back before that. Remember a place called Golgotha. And remember a savior who when we deserve to fall into the worst and direst of circumstance said, nope, I'm going to make them my people. I'm going to make them my people. I come to preach to you not just faith. I come to preach deliverance from an old mindset. This man is warred against it. Brother Bingham did. And then this man warred against it. And God has brought us a giant slayer. And he's coming. He's coming, he's coming, and I'm here tonight to stand shoulder to shoulder with him and say, Satan, it's over for you, Jack. It is over for you. Well, it's just our area. There's no high-paying jobs. It's just our lot. Baloney! God is God! Well, there's really no high-paying jobs. My God! I'm tired. You want to finish? Because you're right on it. Maybe it's God... Wanting you to become the owner. Of the business. Well, I can't sing and I can't play and I'm not real good at teaching. So what can I do? You ever consider that God raises up men to finance the kingdom of God and they're just as vile, viable? talk tonight viable as the greatest singer the greatest musician or the greatest preacher I think when we get to heaven and God starts passing out mansions and crowns uh, there's going to be some folks at the front of the line in front of all these conference preachers that nobody ever knew their name uh, but they got up and drove that bus route 
there's going to be some folks there. You said, my God, he's in front of me. Yeah, because he just made that money and he went to the prayer room and he funded the work of God. Everybody is valuable. And God wants to reach over and flip the switch of provision in his people's world. He preached it. Brother Allard preached it. I'm going to skip it for the most part. But I got to bring it back one more time. It doesn't say now unto him who was going to give you enough to scrape by. Now unto him who is able to do, to do, to do, to do. It's not just some ethereal context where the Spirit of the Lord comes down and touches you in a service from time to time. No, no. It is concrete doing. It is concrete dominion things that he releases into the sacrificial life. We got a misconception. Uh, the misconception is I speak dominion. Uh, that's baloney. That's not Bible. Dominion is something you impose. What dominion looks like uh, is that when I don't have the money, I still pay my tithes. Uh, that's what doing dominion looks like. Oh, I take dominion over this and I take dominion. You don't take nothing till you get up and do something. Dominion ain't talking and dominion ain't threatening. Dominion is doing. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even ask or think. Let me put it in regular old Indiana terms. One God thought would blow your head off your shoulders. One God vision for Anderson, Indiana, First Pentecostal Church, would cause your face to explode. Brother Varnell, that's crazy preaching. Yeah, that's that crazy faith. Okay, all right, let's stupid here tell you about crazy faith. I am getting way ahead of myself. I took a church, good man, loved God, did a great work. Church was down to 19 people. And because I am so awesome, it went down to 11. We was having revival in reverse. I thought it meant race. I begged God for two and a half years to get me out of this place. I left Randy Keys. We'd had about 150 people get the Holy Ghost. We lost count. You can't tell who has it and who don't. It's a mosh pit. So just pray everything through every night. We'll, get some, we'll make sure. Everybody get it. Just get it again. And I went from there in eight months of revival to Virginia to a church that was about a third finished and they put a red tag on the door because our, our building program had been going on so long that our permits expired. 
And then they come in and really started looking for they wanted to reissue the permits, and it wasn't none of it done to code. So I became a mason. I became an electrician. I learned a lot about electricity. The most valuable lesson about electricity, if you touch the wrong wire, it makes your elbow tangle. Woo, I know all about that electricity. It hurts your elbow. It'll see if you got the Holy Ghost too. Amen. Touch that wrong wire, we'll know real quick if he prayed through or not. We had $450 total in the church when I took it. Two weeks from there, we owed $4,500 in a mortgage on a building that wasn't finished that they had a red tag on the door. I'm brilliant like that. That was a good choice for me to go there and take that, wasn't it? I wouldn't have gone if God hadn't have come down and wrote Michelob on the wall. Amen. Or is that Michelin? Was he right on the wall? Something. Something. He wrote on the It was God's will. There was no doubt about it because I tried to get around it. I told the Lord he probably messed up on that one. But I ain't got time nor the energy to go through all of this. So I'm going to cut to the chase. We don't owe a soul in the world a dime tonight. Hang on. That ain't even the good part. We got about $2 million somewhere thereabouts in a building fund. I ain't been missing no meals. I ain't been riding no mules. I bought a fast car. And it's arrest me red, amen. And, uh, and uh, the other day, we're sitting in the living room of my house. And my wife jumped up and lost her ever-living mind. Now, that's usually when I don't obey that she does that. But I was being a good boy that day. And she jumped up and I said, my God. I'm I didn't do it. It was the boys. And she said, we got it. Big tears showed right down her face. We got it. I said, what did we get? I didn't even play the lotto. <laughs> Powerball, none of it. I'm doing good, praying and everything. She said, we got a $780,000 grant for our building program. And I'll tell you why. Because the giant that's alive here was alive there. I'd preach about blessing and it's like somebody had their hand around my throat trying to choke me to death while I was preaching about the favor of God. But I killed that lion one time. I feel like David telling them, I remember a bear and I remember a lion. The stuff we got works everywhere. You have not because you ask not. And our church gave and gave and sacrificed and sacrificed. And all of a sudden, I got a call, sent a text out. Some of my buddies, we just got $780,000 to the building fund. And I got a text back from Tim Adams that said, And the Egyptians shall build the house of the Lord. 
And if you give, God will press it down. And he'll shake it and it'll run over and men will give into your bosom. I'm preaching to you not about a theory. I'm preaching to you something I've lived for the last 25 years. I'm fixing to build a sanctuary because in our church it's been standing room only for seven years. One, the aisle, two aisles. The outside has no aisle. It's right up against the wall. There's a one-chair aisle. And we got some big fellers. They like to try to run in church. I've told them you're going to kill the youngins. <laughs> what are you telling me? This coming Sunday, I'm going to put a shovel in the ground. I'm going to put a shovel in the ground on almost $4 million building program. And I'm going to owe right at $1 million on it. How did I go from 11 people in 25 years to over 700? I'm, I ain't even going to tell it. I'm just going to tell you this. I, I'm breaking ground this next week on a building. And I've been told by various men who I believe hear from God that there's another gift coming. There's another gift coming. And when you get done, you very well may burn the mortgage on the night you dedicate the building. What are you telling me? I am not preaching a theory to you. I'm living this. He always does exceedingly, abundantly, above what we even ask for. But we always stop there. We don't read the other scripture that says you have not because you ask not. But we think asking is, oh, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Giving is not asking, or asking is not giving yourself to prayer begging. Asking is stepping out and saying, Lord, I'm doing this. This is what I can do. But I know that now that I've done what I can do, you're going to do what I can't do. Yeah. We don't ask in a posture of begging. We ask in a posture of blessing. I ain't got time or the energy to preach it. You're going to have to study it out on your own. But we ask by walking in dominion at the limits of our ability. And God takes over when we cannot do anything more. But until you ask by doing. God's hands are tied from releasing the provisions that only come through supernatural means. Oh, I can prove it to you. That's why I make the big bucks. All 50 of them. <laughs> Listen to me. 
I find two places in Scripture where people planted in famine. When I found this, I about broke my shin. I was trying to get up from my desk, and I kicked that bar that goes across from there. And I was so excited, I didn't even realize how I'd hurt myself. It was bleeding. I didn't know it. The only place God that I can find ever promised a 100-fold return was when they were talking about leaving and going somewhere else, down into Egypt. And he said, nope, if you'll stay and plant where I put you, even in a famine, I'll give you a hundredfold return. It takes a lot of faith when it ain't rained in years to get the hoe out and start plowing up dusty ground. I know what the Holy Ghost told me. I'm fine right now. If y'all worried, I ain't worried. Because I got a plow sunk up to the hilt and I got four mules straining right now and we're busting up dry ground and we're busting up ground that smells like fear and trepidation and anxiety. But it's about to die in the name of Jesus Christ. It's about to die because we ain't leaving Anderson. We ain't going to Egypt just because it looks green. Because it looks greener over there. No, sir. I'm going to prosper where I'm planted I'm going to prosper where I'm planted God help us tonight I'm not here to beg you for money I'm here to utterly destroy the yoke of intimidation and fear Everybody in this building, look at me right now. Stand on your feet and lift both of your hands and listen to me. And you're going to say what I'm fixing to tell you to say. Say this, Satan. There ain't a thing you can do about it. I'm going to go ahead and get you to say it again. Come on, say it like you mean it. We're going to step out tonight by faith and... Oh, you're not, you're not working with me. Watch me. We're going to step out by faith tonight and... Satan? There's not a thing you can do about it. We're going to walk in the Holy Ghost tonight and... You, you're, not, you're not getting it. We're going to give sacrificially tonight and... Oh, you ain't willing to work with me. We're going to do what God tells us to do tonight. And hey. Now you ought to praise him for the fact.
Mark chapter 12. Put it up here on this screen. Mark 12, 41. I just skipped about 20 pages of good stuff because I had a whole lot more zeal than I had energy. Ooh, Lord, I'm tired. I need to put all my notes up here. I can see this. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. Verse 42. And there came a certain poor. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Every time Jesus starts wanting to talk about money, it's poor widows. And a certain poor widow came up over and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Everybody say a Coke. Next verse. And he called unto his disciples. Now watch this. He's rich, but young sit down. I ain't nowhere near done. I'm just fooling you. It's a head fake. Or you can stand up. I don't care. I got to stand up the whole time. The people that had a lot of money came by and cast a bunch in. Jesus didn't say a word, sat there like a knot on a log. But here comes a certain poor widow, and she cast in two mites, which make a farthing, and Jesus lost his mind. And he called his disciples. He said unto them, verily. Hey, pay attention, fellas. I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Everybody say, combined. And I'm sure the disciples thought, yep, pressure's got to him. He can't add. Because they gave a bunch of money. Well, let me tell you what I'm doing for you right now. All my life, I heard it preached. Prayer, fasting, and sacrifice. (laughs) Friday night, what did we hear? Prayer, fasting, sacrifice. And while he was preaching it, I told Bishop, can you please go get him, tell him to preach something different. That's the first half of my sermon. Prayer, fasting, sacrifice. But here's the problem. Nobody ever told me what sacrifice was and nobody ever defined what sacrifice was. And it's like that grace thing. It's, it's out there, but we, boy, it's as slimy as an eel. I don't know. I, could, I can't get her nailed down. But one day I was studying for something completely unrelated to this and the Holy Ghost slapped me upside my head and the, the words leapt off the page at me. Jesus is defining Sacrifice. Sacrifice is not an amount. Just leave that microphone right where it was. Don't turn it down. Because I saw some of them, they come awake. God, I got them. A few pacemakers kicked in. Some defibrillators said, Oh, wake your hide up if it kills us all. Where'd it go? Put it back. Jesus said, boys, look at me. That poor widow woman gave more than all of them combined. And it hit me with a thornton. Sacrifice isn't an amount of money. It is the amount of of life alterations that have to be made to accommodate the amount of money. 
It's not the amount of money. It's the amount of life alterations that have to be made to accommodate the gift of the offering. I just want that to, I want that to percolate a minute. Okay, now I told you it'd be different. The first part of this is not what I normally do. Y'all messed me up this week with all this worship. Listen to me. Jesus tells us what is sacrifice. Now, do you want some Joe Schmo from the radio world or the TV evangelist world telling you what sacrifice is? Or do you want to go with Jesus? So you look at me. Look at me very carefully. I'm fit to learn you something. Many of you have given before, but you've never given in an amount that alters your life and forces you to make choices for the next three to four months of how we're going to adjust our lifestyle to accommodate giving this much money. Until you have to adjust your lifestyle, you have not sacrificed according to Christ. But when you do, he goes nuts. That's the best shot I got. I just took it. I hope it's a three-pointer. You say, well, Brother Varnell, that's all cute and fine. We got sacrifice. Okay, well, let me give you the setting. And if this don't, this don't turn your crank, your crank's broke. This took place within 72 hours of him being nailed to a cross. We just came through the Passion Week. What we celebrate is the Passion Week. It starts on a Palm Sunday and it goes through Easter. That's the week of his Passion when they beat him and he died and he rose again and all that. This happened within 72 hours of spikes being driven through his hands. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus used some specific words when he was teaching about this. Jesus is about to go get nailed to a tree. But watch me. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? He's God. The cross didn't sneak up on him. He knew what was coming. He knew he was about to die in an agonizing fashion. And with all of the weight of Calvary pressing on him, he thought it was important enough to take his disciples to church and teach them how to fund the kingdom of God. You're about to die. What are you doing here? I got to tell them how to fund my kingdom. I got to tell them how they're going to take this to the world. I got to tell them how they're going to pay for the things that have to be paid for to get my gospel around the world. Watch what he said. Watch what he said. So, Brother Barnell, I don't know if I believe that. Well, it's the words of Jesus. If you've got a red letter Bible, this is in red. And Jesus said that the rich gave much. The word he uses is actually translates literally as superfluous. That's a fancy word that means unnecessary, unneeded. In other words, these guys brought amounts of money and threw it in. But watch me. Their kids still went to the same college. They still bought the same vacation packages. They still got the brand new truck. They still bought the motor home. And I ain't against all this. I'm just telling you, you got to make some decisions when it comes to sacrifice. I got, I feel the anointing in this house right now. I have got that thing by the throat and I'm going to kill it. 
going to do something to you. You cannot give and continue on with your life like nothing changes and call it sacrifice according to this. But according to this, Brother Horton, when I give, me and the wife's got to sit down and say, well, for the next three or four months, honey, we're not going to be able to eat out. And we're going to have to brown bag it for lunch. And that new car that we really thought we needed, we're going to have to put that off till next year and pray that God will keep this one together. Oh, I'm on it right now. I feel it deep in my bones. I, I am in your brain right now and you need to listen to me. If you're giving what you can afford, you are not sacrificing. It only becomes sacrifice when it demands of you that you figure out how to do life without it and it's got to alter it. And Jesus said, they gave superfluous gifts. They left here, bought the same truck, went on the same vacation, sent the kids to the same school. But that widow woman gave of her want. She gave what was necessary, literally translate, what was necessary to sustain her life. And Jesus lost his mind because he was trying to teach his disciples a lesson that if you want to unlock supernatural power and provision you've got to step beyond what the checkbook register says I can do and you've got to sell something every now and then and you've got to give up the new car and drive the old one and give the down payment you've got to sell something you've got to do something you've got to adjust your life to accommodate the gift Sacrifice is defined in everybody's life in this room in a different amount because some of you can give $50,000 in this offering and still go do anything you wanted to do and eat at the finest places and get a brand new car and go on vacation and it won't bother you and God's going to reward you for giving it all. I get that. But if you want God uh, to say, come over here, son, get in the supernatural line. I'm going to do things that will rock your world and blow your mind. Uh, if you want that kind of God uh, active in your world, then you got to go beyond uh, what is comfortable. <laughs> 